If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. That is on page 1326. If you can use one of the Bibles that we have underneath the chair in front of you, Revelation 21. We'll read verses 1 through 5 as we finish our sermon series addressing the question, why does God allow suffering? Kids, if you're tracking a word of the day, the word will be hope. Hear now God's holy, true, and life-giving word. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much that you are a God who reveals himself to your people. Through your word and spirit and through your son, we thank you that your word, whenever it goes out, it never returns to you empty or void, but always accomplishes the purpose for which you send it. And so as we proclaim your word this morning, we know you are at work within us and among us as we are gathered here in your presence. And we do pray that as we continue to talk about suffering, that you would fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, that we might be strengthened and encouraged and better able to face the sufferings of this life and glorify you and proclaim your excellencies to this world as we continue to seek to fulfill the mission you've given to us to make disciples of our neighbors and of the nations. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Having what you need when you need it is a good thing. And that happened to me about a year ago. I was on a camping trip with my family and many families from the school where our children attend. And um, one of the dads was teaching the boys how to make a torch. And so he was showing them how to wrap a sock around a stick and then dip that stick in some kerosene and then light that torch on fire so that they could run through the woods with them at night. I mean, what could go wrong? And so he had a bucket of kerosene and they were dipping their socks in the kerosene. And uh, in some weird way, fire made its way to the bucket And now the bucket was ablaze. 
And so uh, this dad didn't know what to do, so he kicked the bucket over. And now fire is everywhere. And, uh, you know, we're in the woods, and there's like a six and a half by six foot sort of patch of earth just being scorched. And everybody's, you know, wondering, like, we're in the middle of the woods. What is going to happen here? And then a woman starts yelling, my name. She starts yelling, Matt Ryman, Matt Ryman, fire extinguisher. And moments before this took place, this woman had seen my wife and I putting some stuff away in our van and she had seen that I have a fire extinguisher. So she's yelling my name and the ground is ablaze. And I'm thinking, this is my moment. Waited for this my whole life. And so I grab that fire extinguisher and I walk over, <laughs> spray it out, walk back, put it back in my van and keep loading stuff in. On the inside, I'm like, that was amazing. That was the best. I'm finally a firefighter like I always wanted to be when I was a kid. And the reason that that moment was amazing was because in the providence of God, I had exactly what I needed. Exactly when I needed it. And we've been talking about a very tough subject now for the last three weeks. Uh, we've been answering the question or addressing the question, why does God allow suffering? And we've talked about how God reveals, first and foremost, that it's for his glory and for our good, even though we struggle to see how that works out sometimes. He's promised us in his word that whenever we are suffering, we can be absolutely sure it's for a good purpose. Last week, we talked a little bit about some of the ways we can see the way that God does bring benefits to our life uh, through suffering. And this morning, we're going to focus on how God gives to us exactly what we need when we need it. Because a lot of times when we're suffering, what we think is, I can't do this. I can't bear this. I can't get through this. And there's something that we need. Uh, Tim Keller says this, very interesting. He says, there is nothing more practical for sufferers than to have hope. There's nothing more practical, nothing more helpful, nothing that gets us through hard times and suffering like hope. And the good news that we're celebrating this morning as we continue to address this question is that in Christ we have something that enables us to survive and even to thrive in the midst of our suffering, and that is hope. In Christ, God has given us hope. And so we are going to look at that uh, in three ways this morning. I want to first talk about the promise. Uh, We'll see that God has promised us this future that is beyond our wildest dreams. Amazing. That gives us hope. Also, God tells us something about the present And uh, some things that are happening in light of our suffering, uh, that gives us a lot of hope as well. And then third, we'll see that there's there's a priority, uh, that that when we make something our priority, uh, God gives us hope through that. So three ways in which we see God giving us hope. So let's jump in. Let's talk about the promise. I want you to look back at Revelation 21. Hopefully your Bible is still open to that. This is such a huge passage because God gives us this vision of a future without suffering. So in Christ, we have hope through the promise of a future without 
suffering. Look at Revelation 21 and specifically look at verse 4. Notice how uh, what he's talking about is this future in which we're, we, we live in the presence of God. He's our God. We are his people. And look at verse 4. It says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. See, God promises that he's giving us this new heavens and this new earth, which will be a place where all of the causes of sin and sadness and suffering are just gone. Not there. It's hard to imagine. I mean, many of us wrestle with physical pain. There will be no pain. Many of us wrestle with emotional pain. There will be no emotional pain. None of the things that cause us to weep and pound the table will exist in the new heavens and new earth. There will be no hatred. There will be no racism. There will not be any injustice. There will be no poverty. There will be no terrorism, war, There will be no betrayal. There will be no divorce. There will be no drug addiction. There will be no sexual abuse. There will be no diseases. There will be absolutely nothing that causes any of us who are there to ever be anything less than fully filled with joy. And you might say, it's really hard to imagine. It's really hard to imagine because we live in a world with so much suffering. This is really hard to imagine. Well, Paul actually says you can't imagine it. Um, in 1 Corinthians 2.9, he says, it is, it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And so ultimately what Paul's saying there is if, even if we tried our hardest for the longest time to try to think about just how wonderful and joyful It'll be in the new heavens and new earth. We will come nowhere near what it will be like. Our best idea of what the new heavens and new earth will, would be like, God would laugh at that and say, oh man, oh man, I have something about a billion times better. Times another billion. And then add another billion. And this matters. Here's why this matters. Because what you expect about the future has a huge influence on how you experience what's going on in the present. What you expect about the future has a huge impact on how you experience what's going on in the present. Think about it like this. Imagine two people are offered a job, same job, terrible job, worst job in the world. You think of whatever you think that might be, okay? Worst job in the world. And both of them are told that they're going to get paid minimum wage. They're also both told that after one year of working in the worst job of the world for minimum wage, they will get a bonus. And imagine they tell the first individual, you will get a bonus for $3,000 on your one-year anniversary. Okay? Imagine they tell the other individual, don't tell the first guy, but at your one-year anniversary, we're going to give you a bonus of $30 million. Now, just think about that for a second. How that expectation is going to totally change 
how these individuals experience this exact same thing, the exact same job. The first guy is going to be regularly wondering, why am I doing this? This is the worst job in the world. Okay? This is not worth it. Questioning you know, everything about what he's doing. There's going to be a lot of confusion, a lot of frustration. The second individual is going to be whistling while he works. Okay, all day, every day, because even when it gets its hardest, he's going to be like 30 million, 30 million, and it's just going to give him a completely different experience. Everything that he suffers through in that hard job is going to be okay in the end because of what's coming. His expectation about the future has a huge impact on his experience of the present. And that's why God reveals to us these things about what he's preparing for us what he's given to us in Christ. So that we who do have things to suffer through in God's plan for our lives can know for certain that in the end we get something way better than $30 million. We get to live in the very presence of Almighty God and see his face and experience joy and flourishing unhindered by anything. And so, so what do we do with this? You know what we do is we f- create habits. We form a habit of thinking about this. We form habits of remembering this, especially when we are suffering. As Christians, we need to form a habit of focusing our hearts on what God has promised us, a new heavens and new earth. We want to do that when we are worshiping. We want to do that in our prayers. We want to do that around our dinner table. If you have kids, you should regularly say, hey, in the new heavens and new earth, it'll be like this or it won't be like that anymore. We need to keep our eyes on where we're going and especially who we're going to. We need to meditate On these promises, one Puritan said this, the meditation of heaven, so thinking about the new heavens and new earth, the meditation of heaven is a pillar of support under all our suffering. Heaven will make amends for all. He says, one hour in heaven will make us forget all our sorrows as the sun dries up the water, so one beam of God's glorious face will dry up all our tears. So as individuals and and families, we need to make a habit of meditating on these promises, of looking forward to what God has promised us. And and remembering that, you know, Jesus did not die on the cross simply to pay for our sins so that we could be forgiven and reconciled to God. He didn't die on the cross just so that we wouldn't go to hell and pay for our sins like we deserve, but he also saved us to the new heavens and new earth. We need to remember not only what he saved us from, but what he has saved us to, where we're going. Because what we expect about the future really does impact how we experience the here and now. Second, let's talk about the present. There is uh, something that God tells us in his word that's really helpful, really powerful when we think about our present sufferings. So another way that we have hope in our suffering is this. In Christ, we have hope knowing our present sufferings are preparing us for indescribable happiness and joy. The things that we're going through in God's mysterious ways are actually preparing us for being mind-blowingly happy 
in the presence of God for all eternity. And we see this, one of the places that we see this is in 2 Corinthians 4. If you want to turn there, you can. 2 Corinthians 4. I'm going to read verses 16 and 17. So listen to this. Paul says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Now notice that. He's saying that externally, they are suffering. It is hard. But internally, in their souls, they're being renewed day by day. There's a hope that's always welling up within them. Why? Because, verse 17, he says, For, or because, this light momentary affliction, so whatever they're going through, is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. In the New American Standard Bible, it says that this light momentary affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. The NIV says this, our afflictions are, is achieving for us an eternal weight of glory. And you know what an eternal weight of glory is? The word weight uh, could also be translated as load. Alright, so Paul's saying that what we're going through is actually preparing for us and preparing us for a load of glory that is beyond comparison to anything. A load of happiness and joy, a load of flourishing, a load of complete bliss. And these things that we go through actually are preparing us for that and preparing that for us. And see, God, God knows that we ask that question, why? He understands that our hearts often, in the face of suffering, will go to, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Why is this happening? He wants us to benefit from knowing what he knows, that part of why he's allowing us to suffer in this life is because of the way he uses it to prepare us for this load of glory, this load of joy, this weight of glory which we will experience for all eternity in his presence. He knows exactly what needs to take place in each of our lives in order that we are perfectly prepared to be happier than we could ever dream for the rest of eternity. You know who um, Greg Popovich is? Greg Popovich is the coach of the San Antonio Spurs. They call him Pop. And uh, he's 68 years old. He, he is known as one of the most, if not the most, effective basketball coaches ever. And he's been coaching the Spurs for 21 years. And in that time, they've had 20 winning seasons and five championships. Okay? The man knows what he's doing. And, and one of the things that's so interesting about Pop as a coach is there's two things that he does really well. One, he gets to know all of the players incredibly well. He has a good relationship with all of them. They really know him and he really knows them. He knows everything about them. Two, he's more than happy to put them through rigorous training and exercises that really are challenging for the players, but he knows that those are the things that will actually prepare them to be able to win games and then experience the glory of winning. And it's actually because he knows them so well that he knows exactly what they need 
to prepare them along the way. And when the Spurs win, which is pretty often, uh, whether it's a winning season or just winning a game or when it's winning championships, one of the things that you can be sure of is in that moment when they are celebrating the win and experiencing that glory that comes with it, they are not thinking that whatever Pop put them through somehow wasn't worth it. In fact, what they're thinking is everything that Pop put us through to get us to this point is worth it because of the glory and the joy that we're now experiencing. God wants us to understand our suffering somewhat like that. I mean, what if we looked at our different sufferings, believing that God in his infinite wisdom, who knows us inside and out and loves us beyond anything we could ever comprehend, knows exactly what will prepare us for unhindered flourishing and joy in his presence for all eternity? What if the one who knows us better than anyone else knows exactly what will prepare us to be in his presence? I mean, think about how that impacts the things that you suffer through. You know, some of us suffer with chronic pain every day, experiencing pain. Now, when you stop and you think, this pain is horrible, but God, who loves me in his infinite wisdom, is using this to prepare me for joy beyond my wildest imagination. Or maybe you have depression. Many Christians have depression. And what if we look at that and say, this depression, which is brutal, God promises that he's he's using it to prepare me for a life of zero sadness whatsoever. Maybe you have an unfulfilled longing, something that you've wanted for a long time. God doesn't seem to be giving it to you. Perhaps it's something totally righteous for you to long for. What if you looked at the suffering that comes with that and believed deeply, God hasn't given me this thing that I think will make me happy to prepare me to be happy beyond my wildest dreams in his presence for all eternity. This is something we can, we can cry out to God in our prayers for. We can say, God, help me believe that this horrible thing that I'm facing is somehow preparing for me an eternal load of glory beyond all comparison. And it makes sense in light of the cross. If we look at this through the lens of the cross, you think about the suffering that Jesus experienced, suffering the wrath of God in our place. His suffering prepared what? A future of eternal glory and joy with us. His suffering on the cross leads to his death and then his triumphant resurrection from the grave. And he's, he arises from the grave to an eternity of glory and joy with us. And if Jesus' suffering prepared his future of glory and joy, then you can be sure that our suffering is also preparing us for a future of unmitigated joy and happiness in his presence forever. Third, another way that God gives us hope is by 
showing us the priority that we were made for. The priority that all of us should have in our lives, our top priority being God himself. Thirdly, we're looking at this. In Christ, we find the more we prioritize our relationship with him, the more hope we have. This is huge. The more we prioritize our relationship with God through faith in Jesus, the more hope we're going to have. One of the places uh, we see God connecting hope and, and pursuing him, seeking him, is in Jeremiah 29, 11 and 13, or 11 through 13. It's a well-known verse. Listen to what he says. He says to his people who are in, who are in exile, he says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. God has always, throughout all redemptive history, called to his people and said, Come, seek me, and you'll find me. Come with all your heart, and you'll find everything that you need. You see... We often make the mistake of thinking that if you want something, you pursue it and you get it. But that's really not the way it works, especially with the most important things in life. What God reveals to us is if we want something, we pursue Christ and get him. And in him, we have everything. Don Carson says it this way in one of his books. One must not confuse what is central with byproducts. He says, if you seek peace, you will not find it. If you seek Christ, you will find peace. If you seek joy, you will not find it. If you seek Christ, you will find joy. And we could add to that list. If you seek hope, you will not find it. You will not find what you need to help you get through the sufferings of your life. But if you seek Christ, you will find hope. And the question is, will we believe God? Will we believe God and therefore prioritize him in our lives and order our lives around our pursuit of him and our knowing him and being known by him, trusting that as we make him our top priority in life, we'll not only get to know him more, but we'll have that hope when we need it, exactly when we need it. If we believe him, then we'll, we'll go after him. We'll chase after him. We'll pursue him. Because we believe in him, we'll have everything we need, including hope. I heard a story about this church. It's a couple hundred years old. And the pastor was having part uh, of his office uh, renovated. And so they pulled up the carpet in a little tiny closet. And underneath this gross old carpet is this beautiful wood floor. And so he's like, wow, that's an amazing two feet by two feet of gorgeous wood floor. But he also started thinking, maybe there are other floors in this old church, beautiful wood floors that are currently covered by carpet. So uh, he gets some people and they run to the fellowship hall, this big, huge room. 
covered in carpet. And they get excited thinking, what if we pull up this carpet and we find that there is just this gorgeous wood floor underneath? So they get their tools and they pull back the baseboards and they start peeling back the carpet and they lift up the pad. And there's linoleum, um, which was put in long ago. And that was, um, we'll call that a bummer. Um, so, But then the pastor, who's undeterred, he's like, you know what? Let's pull up the linoleum. I mean, it's not 1980 anyway. And so they cut into it and they start peeling back the linoleum. And they look. More linoleum. Okay, who does that? Okay, it's a good thing that's a church. Because they need to be forgiven for putting linoleum over linoleum, in my humble opinion. But nonetheless, this pastor says... Let's pull that up too. What do we got to lose? And so they cut and they get it. They get their fingers or their crowbars underneath and they peel back. And sure enough, there it is, this beautiful wooden floor. And so they tear everything out of there. They sand it and they finish it. And now this church has this unbelievably gorgeous wood floor that they are enjoying, as you might imagine. Two things. First, about that floor, they did not earn that floor. It was bought for them by someone else long before they ever got there. Number two, If they hadn't believed that they would find what they were looking for, they wouldn't be currently enjoying what was purchased for them a long time ago. And our God calls us to seek Him, to pursue Him, not to earn something from Him, Jesus earned everything, including our forgiveness, including our righteous status in his sight, including eternal life, including the new heavens and new earth. Jesus earned everything for us all by himself on the cross. We are recipients of these promises and these gifts by grace through faith. So God does not call us to pursue him, to earn something from him, but rather to experience more of him and more of the gifts that we have received for free through Christ. So the question is, will we believe God and pursue him, seek him even more, believing that in him we will find not only hope for suffering, but everything that our hearts need and long for? Will we believe him and dig into the scriptures? Will we believe him And be at worship every week. Will we believe him and be in community with one another through our community groups? Will we believe him and seek him as we seek to work together to fulfill our mission to make disciples? Will we pull back carpet? Will we pull back linoleum and linoleum again and get to the floor? Let me show you one more thing. Uh, Turn with me to Romans 15 on page 1207. 
And I want to show you something, some things that Paul says about hope. And I hope this can be an encouragement for us to be a people who this coming school year here, we just think about increasing our devotion to the Lord, increasing our pursuit of Him. Uh, one of the ways we can do that is by reading our Bibles more, memorizing scriptures. Look what Paul says in Romans 15, verse 4. Romans 15, verse 4. Uh, if you're using one of our Bibles, 1207, he says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. Why does God want us to learn the Bible? To know Him and to have hope. What else? Look at verse 13, Romans 15:13, a beautiful benediction. But notice what he says. Verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Ordinary things in the sense of through his word And the powerful, yet in many ways simple, working of the Holy Spirit in our lives, word and spirit, he fills us with hope. He does for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Because if we seek hope, we won't find it. But if we seek Christ, we will find all the hope we need and more to face suffering. Because God is a God who does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And nothing proves that like the cross. Because not one of us in this room could have ever even come close to earning a righteous status in God's sight or somehow paying for our sins. So God does for us in Christ what we cannot do for ourselves. He gives us forgiveness for all our sins. He declares us righteous in His sight. He takes away all of our shame. He fills us with His power through the Holy Spirit. He does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And so if we're going to have the most practical thing for sufferers, which is hope, we're going to find it in Christ. And may the Lamb of God receive the reward of his suffering. Let's pray. Father, your word calls us to trust you, to believe you, and to seek you. Not to earn something, but to experience what Jesus earned for us. And we, like people all through the centuries, all through the millennia, struggle to believe you. We believe, help our unbelief. Holy Spirit, by your power, please empower us to devour God's word, to learn it, memorize it, speak it. Listen to it. And by your spirit, would you fill us with hope? Would you make us a congregation bursting with hope? That our hope would spill out of these walls to our neighbors and even to the nations. As we seek to do what you've called us to do, to make disciples. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.